Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, elder candidate at Redeemer Fellowship. You can call him Jimmy Fofo. With the Jojo. Uh, yeah, man. You sound good. I, I do sound better. We sound really good right now. Really nice. Like it, There's been a change in us. A big change. What, what, what do you chalk it up to? Uh, puberty. Yeah, kind of. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. Like a, we're, we're, we're passing out of the adolescence Correct. of our first podcast, mm-hmm. and now we are in the maturity of our second podcast, and our voices changed. Yeah, not really maturity, but yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Our voices have changed, because uh, the first round was pretty janky. We used, it, was, it was all right. No, no, no. We used your your crappy microphone what and we use garage band and for some yeah, that reason was, that no for some right. reason you thought that was going to be okay I thought, yeah it was, just it was good. not okay i thought it was this time around okay. we got some help yeah we got justin bond of j bond media uh he swooped in mm-hmm. and rescued us he yep. said that um he would be our engineer and editor and he told us what equipment to get so right. we went and did that and he's been skyping in and telling us what to do and so now we sound good so big thanks to j bond media thanks justin Really appreciate it, man. So, uh, Jimmy, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about can Baptist be reformed? Cool. Um, why would we even ask that question? Like, can Baptists be reformed? Seems like most people would think that's a no-brainer, of course. Why not? But uh, why would this issue be coming up today? Well, I think first because of the resurgence of Calvinism. There was a time when... Uh, to be associated with Calvinism uh, would be associated with this uh, subsect of Christianity that believe that no one has free will, that we're all just robots um, and we're just puppets in the hands of a puppeteer. And so you think of like the young restless and reform movement uh, it's come, it's been pushed forward. And so people are now just trying to figure out what does it actually mean to be reformed? What does it mean to be Calvinistic? What does it mean to be Baptist? And what does it mean to be a reformed Baptist on top of that? Right. So, you know, there's, there's misconceptions Mm -hmm. and there's this growing movement of Calvinists, Calvinism and reformed theology. Uh, Our friend Les Lanfear is making a documentary called Calvinist on this, on this very issue. So um, yeah, that's definitely a a big part of it. And, you know, this, term reformed is become so popular now yeah. like <laughs> people use it all the time whether they are really reformed or not um so yeah it's it's definitely worth worth discussing because of that so but why are we singing out baptist though you know why is anyone asking can we as baptists be also reformed it really depends on how you define the term right mm-hmm. some people define reformed so narrowly that it excludes people that i might be willing to say are still reformed in in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like some Presbyterians would say, uh, if you fall out of bounds of our confessional standards or a certain sect, a set of confessional standards, you are no longer reformed. And uh, reformed Baptists would say, no, we we, we still fall within, and, and this is why. And here are the confessions that uh, that we ref- that we would refer to. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some of those Presbyterians, and it's not a big group who would say Baptists cannot be reformed. Uh, they just view it as an oxymoron. It's a totally different thing. A Baptist can be a lot of things, yeah. but he cannot be reformed. So, yeah, can you? I mean, can you help me understand? I know you've had a lot of a uh, lot of time studying and reading as far as 
what does it actually mean to be reformed? So how would you define that then? How would you define what it means to be reformed? Yeah, that's good because we can't really say what a reformed Baptist is without first saying, here's what it means to be reformed. So uh, without going into all of the history, which is really important, Mm -hmm. but for our podcast, we'll just focus on some of those theological aspects of it. Uh, To be reformed means uh, a few things. One, it means that that, uh, they are orthodox. A reformed church is an orthodox church that embraces the Catholic creeds, right? Catholic with a little c. Gotcha. Uh, Universal creeds that all Christians embrace that deals with those core Christological issues and Trinitarian Mm -hmm. doctrines. So think of the Apostles' Creed or Nicaea, for example. So the reformed churches embrace orthodoxy, uh, but they are also clearly Protestant. Uh, meaning that uh, that they they trace their lineage back to the Protestant Reformation, yeah. and the five solas of the Reformation uh, are are heartily embraced. So they are thoroughgoing Protestants, right? And by the solas, I mean those Latin phrases that summarize the theology uh, that was being uh, discussed and debated and fought over. Uh, sola gratia, meaning grace alone, that salvation is of God's grace alone. Uh, it is not earned by works. It cannot be merited by our obedience. That salvation isn't distributed by a church, but that yeah. it is offered freely by God, it is an act of grace. So grace alone, and we receive it by faith alone, and we are saved ultimately because of Christ's work alone. And, um, you know, it's the scripture alone that is our authority. So those solas, the glory of God alone, mm-hmm. is why God operates and works in salvation in the That's world. Right. In the world. So uh, Reformed churches are Protestant as well as Orthodox, and they are confessional. And by confessional, I don't just mean that they have a confession, but that their confessions are in line with a certain stream of of thought, like a perspective on the Bible and on God. We see this in the the Synod of Dort, the Belgic Mm. Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Standards, the Savoy, um, and I'm going to say the Second London Confession among Baptists as well. So, like, I mean, I have a couple questions here when we talk about confessional one— um, what would you say to those people? Like I grew up Roman Catholic. And so some people would look at confessions as this, um, this symbol of high church, right? Like the symbol mm-hmm. of control, um, on the people. And secondly, they would look at it as, as antiquated. It was there for a time, but not necessarily necessary, uh, for us today. What, how would you answer those people? Yeah, confessions are something that the church has used from the beginning, and I'm using confession and creed here as synonyms, so okay. bear with me. But you know, we find summary statements, even in Scripture, that were used of the, the church, used by the church, summary statements about what we believe, things that matter, uh, those those doctrines that are at the core of, of either our identity or that were being debated and denied by heretics. Mm-hmm. So we have... Uh, People of all denominations and all theological perspectives throughout church history have articulated creeds and confessions. They should not be seen as authoritative in and of themselves, but as a clear distillation of some of the more important doctrines that we hold as a church. All of the good confessions start with uh, an affirmation of Holy Scripture as our only authority, as our infallible authority, Mm -hmm. as our highest authority, maybe not only authority, but certainly our infallible and highest authority by which everything else is judged and measured. So confessions are good, and they've been used by uh, all kinds of of churches throughout the uh, 
church age, and uh, the Reformed confessions have a lot in common with their distinctives. So, like a lot of people think of the five points of Calvinism, uh, you know, the five points that, in his wisdom, John Piper has put and given us here on earth. They came from John Piper. Yeah, John Piper, in his wisdom, in his ultimate wisdom and authority, when, uh, when has did, bestowed, when did John When did John write the five points of Calvinism? Uh, I believe 1912. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just but after. I don't think he was born then. No, no, no just after. Didn't the, uh, didn't the five points of Calvinism, isn't that really going back to the Synod of Dort? Uh, maybe. Okay. I'm not sure. Was John there? Uh, No. So go ahead. Tell us what the, uh, tell the, us the five what points. What do you mean by five points of Calvinism? You know, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Right. But reformed though means much more than that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think like, oh, a five point Calvinist is reformed. Now, at the popular level, mm-hmm. sure, people use reformed to simply point to um, people that ring all five of those bells. Mm-hmm. Um, and fine, whatever. That's I, I know what they mean. A person that is uh, that embraces the five points is Calvinistic, yeah. for sure. But really, in, in my mind, I think if we're being technical, they're not reformed. Uh, they just have a reformed soteriology, perhaps. Okay. But there's a lot more to being reformed than that. So then, what would that be then? What would those? What would that difference be? So you have the confessional aspect of it, right? Correct. Yeah. So you will uh, reformed churches embrace a reformed confession, mm-hmm. and in those confessions. There are a number of, of similarities, uh, principles that are really, really important, uh, distinctives like covenant theology. Okay. So covenant theology, and this is not a podcast on covenant theology. We might do one. There's yeah. been some email requests for that. But uh, covenant theology, uh, meaning that we, when we look at Scripture and the history of, of God working throughout uh, the, the, the span of, of creation and redemption, he interacts with people in different ways in different covenants. And we see a covenant of works in mm-hmm. the garden before the fall. God says, uh, do this and you will live, right? Uh, yeah. Be fruitful, multiply, exercise dominion over the earth, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat of it, you will die. So don't do this one thing. If you break this law, if you break my laws, you will die, you will perish, but if you obey, you will live. Mm-hmm. Uh, we failed there. Yeah. And then God promises us a covenant of grace, yeah. right? So there is there is now, there is re-entry into the presence of God. There is the opportunity for fellowship with God based on a new covenant, not our works, but his works through Jesus that we uh, receive, that we, the salvation that we enter into by faith. And so covenant theology is always a distinctive among the Reformed churches. Also, there is the regulative principle in worship. Hmm. Now, the regulative principle simply means that we only include as essential elements in our corporate worship those things which are prescribed by Scripture. So, um, like fog machines, definitely not prescribed. I'm not going to go fog machine yet. <laughs> what I'm just saying, it's okay. in there. So there's a difference, right? There's a difference between essential elements, right? That those mm-hmm. components that make up worship, what it is. And then there are those accidental elements, and mm-hmm. some people would say like a fog machine or a hazer and lasers uh, are accidental, and you like have— Like they accidentally did it because it's terrible. <laughs> that would be a part of it. Uh, but, but here's the truth. Like uh, so when we say those things that Scripture prescribes, right, the reading of the Word, the preaching of the yeah. Word, the sacraments, prayer, songs, uh, taking up an offering, testimony, there are certain things that Scripture prescribes and models for us that need to be there, mm-hmm. and everything else should— should not be considered 
an essential element. We yeah. shouldn't be like drama, for example. A lot of people would say like, well, we can't have drama because that would become an essential element of what we're doing. Uh, it would become a focal point. And so we don't want to have that because it's not prescribed. It's therefore gotcha. not allowed. But then there are accidental things. Uh, pews versus a screen or, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, pews versus chairs or yeah. a hymnal versus a screen. Uh, things like that. Uh, the, the, the architecture. There are accidental things that don't really matter that you can, you know, with wisdom... Uh, choose the, the better option. There's leeway. Right, there's definitely, there, there's leeway. And so I would say that uh, churches that use fog machines, more than likely they're not reformed. And I'll be praying for you. But it, they, you may, they, you know, oh man, I just, I don't, I don't, I've never even heard of a reformed church that uses a hazer. But here's the thing. I think Nick Batzing, his church. Nick, Nick Batzing, yeah. definitely. They use yeah. uh, the fog machine. Yeah, you know, the Presbyterians. Those Presbyterians. PCA. PCA, you need some help. They, um, That's a good joke. I would say, look, if you're using a hazer, uh, <laughs> we're really going to focus on this. You're, <laughs> well, is it, because it's so cheesy, man. Like, look, if, if you're using a hazer in your worship, all right, I'm going to, here's what I'll say. If you're preaching Christ crucified, I don't really care. Um, all right, I, I think the gospel cuts through the the haze, mm -hmm. so I'm not <laughs> I'm not worried about it. But uh, you should probably knock it off. Yeah. So yeah, the the oh. regulative principle that's always a distinctive, and there's debate on that on how it plays itself out. So you did covenant theology, right? Regulative principle mm -hmm. in worship, right? Anything yeah. else? Yeah, sure. Law, like our perspective of the law. Reformed Christians believe that there are three uses of God's law, the commands that He has given us, mm -hmm. and His law is good. It is it is spiritual. Um, the law is not our problem, really. We are the problem in our response to the law. And the three uses, if just to summarize, the three uses of the law for Reformed Christians are one. It is uh, a deterrent against sin through the threat of punishment. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, something that you see in culture at large, right? Some people are, uh, many people are less inclined to commit crimes, not because they are genuinely good people and want to honor God and bless the society, but because they don't want to get busted. Mm -hmm. So uh, law curbs sin through the threat of punishment. Secondarily, and this is probably the, maybe the, the dominant theme throughout scripture, that the law condemns our sin uh, reveals to us our corruption, and in that it can prepare us to see our need for Jesus. So it becomes a tutor leading us to Christ. And then as believers, the third use of the law for Reformed Christians is that it remains, the law remains a rule for godly living. Yeah, It commands us to go, and we go. And then fourthly, uh, I would say uh, a distinctive for Reformed churches is that they are confessional. Uh, they will have a confession that they appeal to that that clearly articulates what they believe, mm -hmm. and um, and it and it reflects these basic distinctives as well as more. So now, Reformed Baptist is a new term, right? Yeah, actually, it is. It's uh, back in the day. Back in the day when they, I was young. I'm wait, like, what is that? It's a song from I, back in. the I day. I never know the songs you sing. What do you mean? I sing you, some great songs. They never, I never can identify the songs that you sing. Well, you know, you just... All right. So we, um, Bapti Reformed Baptists, uh, back in the day, were called particular Baptists. So when you're looking at the you know, 17th century, 18th century, they were called particular Baptists uh, because of their view of the atonement, uh, was kind of what was highlighted there. Mm -hmm. And these uh, particular Baptists... Uh, you know, they wrote up Confessions of Faith in 1644. They wrote the London Confession, Baptist London Confession, uh, which was good. It was, it was really good. But then the Presbyterians came out with that Westminster. Yeah. It and was better. It was really good. So in, uh, that was like uh, maybe 1646, just after what we did. And then in 1677, we stole it and we hacked it 
and we produced better. a better. I think we made it better. We made a Baptist version of it. So there's Baptist. a ton of similarities. We really borrowed from that and the Savoy Declaration to create in 1677 what's called the Second London Confession. But it's called the 1689 Confession because it couldn't be published and signed broadly in London because of persecution. In 1689, the Act of Tolerance was passed, mm. and Baptists and dissenters could be open about their theology. And uh, these particular Baptists, they maintained all of these distinctions that we've talked about in the Reformed movement, but they differed in a few points. Covenant theology is one. They were covenant theologians. Yeah. They were not dispensational. Uh, dispensationalism didn't exist at the time. Uh, they were covenant theologians, but they differed in certain aspects that we'll talk about in uh, a later episode. And when those particular Baptists came to America, over time, they became divided. Uh, they got diluted and not diluted, diluted. <laughs> and eventually they began to die out. It really wasn't until the 1960s when Reformed Baptist or particular Baptist churches began to grow again and rediscover the 1689 Second London Confession. Thank you, John Piper. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. We're talking different guys. Uh, Walter Chantry is mm-hmm. is one of those guys that that comes in. Um, so in the in the 60s in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, there was this ministry conference that happened, and there was uh, this this growing interest in returning to our Baptist roots, 1689 style. And uh, the term Reformed Baptist was coined, I believe, at Westminster Seminary by a group of particular Baptists. And from there, it really took off. You have ARBCA, uh, the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches mm-hmm. in America, and things like that that have all come, come out of that. So my answer is to the question, can Baptists be Reformed, that, um, yeah, we, we, we can be Reformed uh, as we affirm the 1689 Second London Confession. So then if you only have a Calvinistic soteriology, uh, the doctrine of salvation, and you're not really Reformed, you're just Calvinistic, correct? Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nobody should be like yearning for a name or a title. It doesn't really matter. But from my perspective, you can embrace the five points Mm -hmm. and be a Calvinistic Baptist or a Calvinistic church Mm -hmm. or a Calvinistic thinker or theologian, uh, but it doesn't make you reformed. There is just a lot more to it than that. Ultimately, we don't need to be worried about titles, man. Yeah. It just, you know, I, I've, I've had a couple of Presbyterians tell me, you can't be reformed. You aren't reformed. And to that, I just say like, all right, then just call me Baptist. I, yeah. I, I don't really care. My perspective is different, but whatever. Really, the thing is, is we need to be really good theologians. That's we right. need to improve upon our theology uh, for the sake of knowing God and making him known. So in this, though, we need to be careful about where we find our identity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this is important, it's, it, but we must not define ourselves only by a confession, but by Christ, right? Right, right, yeah. It's really easy, because you know, every church has a tendency to find its identity in something that is true about it, right? Yeah. You know, some churches find their identity in the large numbers that they have, mm-hmm. or in their uh, cultural accommodation. Uh, some churches find their identity in their their perceived moral purity or uh, separation from the world, and others find their identity in their tradition of theology. And while, sure, uh, that is a part of who you are, your your theological distinctives uh, is a part of you, but your identity really needs to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. The Reformed theology is second to that, but very, very Im- important. And really... This is something that Jimmy and I talk about a lot. We, it's important that if, if we want to consider ourselves Reformed 
theologians, uh, it doesn't really matter if we're not also Reformed in heart. Mm-hmm. You know, Reformed theology should lead to Reformed hearts. This doctrine should impact our devotion. That's our, right. Our, our theology should result in our piety growing and becoming more robust. So we don't we don't want to just be theologians, people who are known to um, love doctrine. We want to be people who are known to love God That's and right. to love the church and to love the lost that we're trying to reach with the gospel. That's right. And we shouldn't be arrogant or elitist, you know, with yeah. uh, with those around us that maybe don't aren't adhering to, I guess, if you want to say that they're, they're, they're coming along uh, or maybe they're fighting against it, but we shouldn't be arrogant, right? right. We shouldn't be aggressive. Uh, a lot of, I think there is a lot of young reformers mm-hmm. um, that just need to knock it off, right? They just need to knock off um, and, and change their attitudes uh, and how they're interacting with others around them. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I was that guy for a long, long time. Uh, angry, arrogant, l- just looking to pick Used a fight. All right, that's not cool. Oh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm changing, man. Yeah. Things are, things are good. Just I'm happy. Change. No, not that. You one. know that one? No, I do. Yes. I do. But that's no. Black Sabbath one. has a better song. I'm going through changes. That's a better song. All right, fine. We have different tastes, musical tastes. Very different. All right, so Calvinists can be known as arrogant bullies, and some of us are or were Mm -hmm. and that should not be true of us calvinists should be the most humble happy people in the world because we know that we have been rescued from death and hell we know that we contributed nothing to our salvation we know that that we are reconciled to god because of his will christ's work the spirit's operation in us it is all grace and nothing uh, of us in fact even our understanding of theology if we're right if we really believe that we're right then we know that it's not that we're smart and figured it out, but that God has graciously taught us by right. His Spirit and His Word. So there should be no boasting. There should be deep, profound humility and happiness. Calvinists should be the happiest suckers on the planet <laughs> because like, we've been rescued and saved, and, and, and we didn't deserve it, but God did it anyways. That's right. So, so yeah, I agree. So the, it, for those listening then, what would you recommend uh, as an introduction to Reformed theology? Okay, um, a couple of things. Like one of the books that I read early on that really had a big impact on me was A.W. Pink's The Sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, just well-written and provocative, but encouraging. And honestly, it led me to worship. Yeah. It, like I read this book and I was just inspired with awe for our sovereign God and I had to worship him and uh, really, really good. So that would be a book to pick up, especially if you haven't read it, read it. It's mm-hmm. um, it's worth it. But if you're new to Reformed thought and, and Calvinism, that would be a good book. What about you? What's something that you like? Uh, I think a resource that I'm always going back to weekly, uh, especially as I when I'm preparing sermons, is uh, Systematic Theology, not by Grudem. What? Not by Wayne Grudem. What? What's wrong? No you, way, why Wayne. Pick, why? Why you say no way, Wayne? Like no he's a way, brother? Wayne. He's a, he's a brother. brother. He's a Calvinist. He's a Cal- but I am. Uh, uh, Why are you hating? We just I'm, went through this whole thing. You're supposed to be nice. We're yeah, supposed to be I'm being humble nice. and I'm happy. Being nice. I'm also being loving to those listening that uh, if you're looking for a systematic theology that will be useful, okay. I would go with uh, Louis Burkhoff. Who's Louis? Louis. Luis. Lulu. Little Lou? Little Lou. Little Lou Little Burkhoff? Lou, Little Lou Burkhoff. All right. Uh, Louis Burkhoff, Systematic Theology. Yeah. Fantastic. It's a, it's a great resource. You need to have it. It's got to be on your shelf, on your desk. You're going to use it every week. Uh, it is a, is my favorite, one-volume systemat, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a good one. And, of course, you should pick up the 1689 Second London Confession, uh, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. It goes by that title as well. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes so you can find a good copy. Those are some great books to start with 
definitely want to encourage you guys to pick those up. And thanks to Justin Bond Media, J Bond. Man, uh, we're so grateful for him and how he's helping us with the sound. If you guys need any any work done, photo, video, uh, he's the man. Uh, click over there and uh, and he will hook you up. All right, so uh, next time we're going to be talking time. about family, family worship, family. Well, wor- family worship is going to be part of it. I think it's going to be just the family unit, family unit, family. Everything ministry. that goes into that family ministry is going to be good. All right, so we're gonna. Talk then. We hope you guys will tune in. Do us a favor. Hit our Facebook page and like it. Uh, Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Tell other people about the podcast. If you like this, if this is encouraging to you, then spread the word. And if we are finally in iTunes, we're still waiting to be approved. Mm -hmm. If we're finally in iTunes, then uh, leave us a big five-star review and say we're awesome. Or don't bother. Uh, don't bother. How about that? One, that? one or the other? One or the other. Okay, Five you, stars or nothing. You can be. You could be honest. That's fine. Don't uh, be honest. Just don't compare us to anybody else. Just you have to understand. Like you have to interpret us in our own context. You can't compare us to other like heavy hitting podcasts like Happy Rant or the Confessional Collective or Reform Pubcast because uh, those guys have been added a lot longer. So you can't compare us to them. You got to just deal with us on our own. So five stars. Five stars. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.